0: Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast.
1: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Excellence Expected with me, Mark Asquith. Now you need to buckle in for this one. If you are driving to work, you need to use some of that time productively. If you are training in the gym, feeling inspired, this is the episode for you. Because the issue that we're going to challenge is when you get that light bulb moment, and we've all had it, when you get that idea, the idea, what the heck do you do next? And that is a real, real big issue for people. It's one of the single biggest reasons that people don't actually start. They just don't know what the first step is. And that's the issue that we're going to tackle today. And we're going to overcome that with you whilst you do what you are doing. And joining me today is someone who has managed to conquer this himself, actually overcome this and created a fantastic, fantastic business. Welcome to the show, Mr. Hugo Sykes. Pleasure. Pleasure. Real pleasure to have you here, sir. And just before we dig in, because I I am really looking forward to this one. It's an issue that stops so many people. I'm so looking forward to it. But before we get to that, Hugo, what is it that you do? Where did you come from? What's your background? And actually, what do you do daily today? So right
0: now, Mark, I'm I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I'm running my own business with uh, some very talented individuals who help me out every day. But uh, my background is, I was trained as an engineer. So I did both a bachelor's and a master's degree at Oxford University. And uh, while I was there, I had my light bulb moment, as you were mentioning earlier, and uh, came up with an idea to develop a nuisance call blocking system, which uh, could hopefully eliminate nuisance calls in the UK, because as you know... It's a growing problem and uh, it's getting a lot of media attention at the moment. And everybody's kind of looking for the best solution that's out there. And we think we might have it.
1: That's a bold statement because it really is a pain in the backside. (laughs) Yeah, it is, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. So let's talk about your light bulb moment. You know, how did that come about? What were the, the early stages of that light bulb moment? You know, what did you do to actually flesh that out? Tell us that story.
0: Well, um, we're no exception to the rule. Our, our family have uh, been victims, if you like, of this nuisance call epidemic for, for quite a number of years. And um, I mean, I've especially seen it with my grandparents because the way it works is they tend to target people who are at home during the day and who have some time on their hands to listen and tend to be quite polite. So that tends to be more elderly people. But uh, my grandparents are no exception. And a few years ago now, it's in 2013, they were nearly victims of a phone fraud scam. So they were phoned up by um, some criminals who were pretending to be the police. And they were told that they, their help was needed in a police investigation. And being the good citizens that my grandparents tried to be, they, uh, they thought they'd try and go along with it. So the, police, the policeman on the phone, who was actually a con artist, said, OK, hang up the phone. Go on our website, the police website, take the number, dial the number and check with the, lo- the local police department that this is a legitimate, a legitimate thing. So that's what my grandfather did. He hung up the phone. He went to the website, took the number, dialed into his phone. And what not many people know is that what Fordsters can do is they can keep the line open. So when you put the phone down, the call doesn't necessarily end. And when you pick up the phone a second time to dial a number, they'll play dial tone to you, but it's not real dial tone. And then once you've dialed the number, they will pretend to be whatever number you've dialed. So in the case of my grandfather, they did this twice. So they said, hang up the phone, dial the police. He did that. They pretended he got a different person to pretend to be the police. The police said, okay, we've also got your bank who are involved in this. They're also going to help us. So hang up the phone and dial your bank. So that's what he did, he hung up the phone, he dialed his bank, and they had a third person come on the phone, ask him the typical security questions which they copied from the banks. And, um, and he was fairly convinced after having dialed two numbers off websites that he was dealing with a legitimate, a legitimate police investigation. So anyway, I can go into the details of that if you're interested, but long story short, they came very close to losing a large sum of money to a very complex scheme. And it was at that moment that I thought, you know what, these phones that we have at home, they're actually a source of vulnerability these days. Everything else we have is more secure. Email, you have some kind of control over what comes into your inbox. If you're on a social media website, you can at least see who you're talking to. There's some kind of traceability. Whereas on a phone, people have direct access to your house and there's no form of security put in place yet. So, That's when we had the idea to develop the community call blocker. And what it is, it's a a nuisance call management device. So not only does it filter nuisance calls, but it also detects when the line is held open. So it's a level of scam detection which is integrated into the device. And on top of that, there's full call recording included. So what you get to do with that is if you are in one of these situations where either you've been ripped off or you came very close, or for example if you're one of these people who's being harassed at home or threatened then for the first time you actually have evidence that you can go to the authorities with and say look i mean we need to do something about this i'm 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 not being left alone at home what can we do
1: that's a really interesting interesting story what gets me about that is that you saw the problem you actually saw this happening and i think there's so many people out there that see something happening daily, but think that they just can't solve it. You know, that kind of the idea that, mm, I wish something would stop this, or I wish I could affect this, but no one actually really takes that next step forward. So what, what got you moving? What was the, the incentive to get you up and running? You know, outside of that personal, personal investment, what made you think, right, I'm going to take this on? So the
0: idea we came up with to deal with this is really what got us all excited about it. So there are already devices on the market that you can purchase, which once you've received a phone call, you can press a button on the box which is connected to your phone, and the number is recorded, and that caller is prevented from calling you again. Now, the problem with that is that, of course, all of these con artists have different numbers, all of the nuisance call telesales companies all phone you from their own number and they rarely phone you twice. So basically, it doesn't really prevent anything. You still get bothered as much as you did before. You just get a certain amount of satisfaction that once they've called you, you could block them. But you have still had to get up. You still had to do, stop doing whatever you were doing and go and be bothered by these people who shouldn't be bothering you in the first place. So what did we come up with? We came up with a system where anytime anybody in the world using one of these devices blocks a number by pressing that magic button, we collect all of those numbers in a central database. So if you, Mark, block a number, it's going to be uploaded to our database. And if I block the same number, it's also going to be uploaded to our database. Now, we're going to look at that and we're going to say, hold on a minute. Mark lives across the country from Hugo. And they've both blocked the same number. Hold on a minute. It's very unlikely that they've both got the same annoying friend that they've blocked. It's more likely that it's a nuisance call company who's mass dialing across the country and they've hit two of our users. So what we do is we say, once once you've been blocked by a certain number of people, a triggering number, then we take that number and we give it to everybody else ahead of time. So if we both block the same number and your sister also had one of these devices. We would give her the number that you and I had blocked and she would be protected against that number ahead of time, which is something that other devices aren't doing on the market today.
1: Okay. So let's just, let's just take the actual formation of the business apart. Let's just think back to when you had the idea. Yeah. Specifically, what were the next steps that you took? Because that's quite a challenge, creating a business and a system around that. What were the next steps that you actually took, Hugo? Where did you go with that? How did, you, how did you actually validate that that was a good idea? Who did you talk to? Well, I mean, the first
0: step that most people take, well, when we came up with the idea for the Community Call Blocker, I, I just, I, I went around and I talked to my relatives and to my friends and I asked them, you know, for a start, were they receiving nuisance calls and what did they think of the idea? Had they heard of anything similar before? I mean, that's your first port of call, really. And um, absolutely everybody I spoke to said, well, definitely we have the problem. Um, we have no idea whether there are solutions on the market or not. Most people have never heard of call blockers before. So um, that was my first port of call. But of course, beyond that, you need to do some level of research. And, uh, and I started looking into you know, publications from newspapers. I started doing a lot of work online to figure out whether there was a de- demand. I looked into which competitors were out there already doing something and whether somebody else had already had the idea. Because these days, by the time you've had an idea, normally there were 10 other people who've also had it. So we were all very surprised. I mean, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So we were pleasantly surprised when we found that actually there was nobody else doing it at the time. And um, we thought, well, this is worth investigating. So we I put some time and energy into looking into the market. And then the next step really was figuring out whether it was how it was feasible and whether it was technically feasible. So as I was doing an engineering degree, I managed to convince the Oxford University to allow me to do a startup company as my master's thesis. So what we did is we we put a company together. I found... Another very talented engineer who's got much more experience than I do to come and do it with me. And I, I developed a level of the software and uh, he developed uh, the hardware and some of the software as well. So basically we created a prototype within six months of having the idea. And that was basically a minimum, a minimal, a minimum viable device that we could then go out and prove worked.
1: Okay, that's quite interesting. And what challenges off the back of the Minimum minimum Viable Product? So for everyone listening out there, Minimum Viable Product is essentially what is the most basic version of our product or service that we can use to get out there to gauge some feedback? How did you guys deal with that feedback? I'm sure there's a lot of us listening that are thinking, well, all right, once I've got that, how do I know which direction to go in? So what did you guys do after that? How did you find out what needed changing? How did you react to feedback?
0: So... The device that we designed, we designed to the specifications that are provided by the telco companies, so BT, TalkTalk, Virgin, they are supposed to um, provide phone lines which meet certain specifications. So we designed one that would fit the very easiest specifications out there. So we, we made a product that we knew would work on a very clean phone line that we could demonstrate to people in a kind of nearly a lab environment, but it could also be used on a very good home phone line. The reason we did that is because the next step, the step once you've got a prototype to a finished product, really that's when you need to go and find investment. Because at that point, you're going to be going out to people and Saying to them, look, this is my idea. What do you think of it? And that's when you're really going to see whether people who know about the industry are interested in your product. And that gives you a great feedback on whether it's a good idea or not. So you make that minimum investment, which for us was six, six to eight months. And then it's not a technical job at that point. The job then is to go out and find investors and find some money that you can then put into making it a polished product.
1: Okay. Yeah, I get that. I, I like the idea of creating something that gets a little bit of feedback, shows that there is a need and then using that to leverage investment. I think that's a really valuable point. And one thing I just want to to turn around onto now is the kind of personal side, the personal journey, because, you know, you were entering a new industry there. You were entering a brand new industry, something that by mm-hmm. the sounds of it, you know, you were frankly just annoyed by and, you know, you didn't necessarily have the experience in that industry. What, what were the or what was the mental side of that for you? What made you think that you could enter that industry and do something well within that industry that you had no idea about? What was that process like? So I'm say so
0: twofold. For a start, coming out of university, any industry is a new industry, so there was no more disadvantage going into that one than there was any other one. Um, so if you're going to if you're going to start, then there's no point of being worried about it from that sense. I mean, if you're already an expert in a field, then you might have some kind of uh, advantage. The second thing is that, fortunately, my family have worked in telecoms before, not, not recently, but my, uh, my father worked for uh, a number of telcos in the 80s and 90s before he retired. And that means that I was kind of familiar with tel- telephony before that. I had some kind of background, not, not much, but enough that I was more comfortable with that area than going into, you know, something else that I'm completely uninformed about. So I knew the basics. And from there, it's been a very, very steep learning curve. And uh, there's really not much you can do about that, except some people say that the approach you should take is join a company in the industry you want to start your business in first, learn about the industry, get all of that information, and then then start your own business. Now for the community call blocker, we didn't, we didn't do that. We, we jumped straight in because we were excited about it. And because it was an idea that hadn't already been done, you know, you only have a limited window of opportunity.
1: Yeah, I get that. And I just wanna talk about competition actually, because that's one of the big stumbling blocks for people. And I know there are different trains of thought on this one. There's the idea that, well, okay, listen, if someone has a similar idea to you, so let's use Lyft and Uber as an example. If someone has the same idea as you, that just proves that you can make money doing it. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Would you agree with that? Or is that something that, you know, people need to be mindful of? How's your, how's your approach to competition?
0: Well, I mean, my, my answer to that, Mark, would be, can you think of a single industry where there's only one key player? I mean, if they're few and far between, I mean, I guess you could give Facebook as an example, Maybe. But even then, now Facebook and there's competition from Twitter, there's Pinterest, there's Instagram. I mean, it's, there is no market where there's only one player. I mean, normally a market grows very fast at the beginning if there's only one player. So Uber, for example, I've seen an opportunity capitalized on it. But I wouldn't be surprised at all that over the next five years we see a number of Uber competitors like Lyft um, a- appearing on the market.
1: I think that's a really valid point. Uh, the idea of competition always stops us, you know, it kind of it's the first thing, it's the first thing that just makes us think, mm, maybe I shouldn't do this. And you know, as, as you've scaled the business, as you're growing that business, how is the competition landscape right now? Are you seeing people coming onto the market? And if so, how are you reacting to that? What's what's community call blockers strategy, I guess, for dealing with that if at all there is one?
0: Well, I mean, our, uh, we're, we're a new entrant into the market. So in, um, in a sense, that does give us certain advantages. The advantages that we have, for example, is that our, our product is the latest. So we have the most cutting-edge technology inside the community core Blocker. And it, it just gives us that edge. It means that what we're offering is actually genuinely better than everybody else. I mean, that's the position you want to be in. But something you realize very quickly is you can have the best technology in the world, if you haven't got the distribution channels, the marketing, and uh, the financing behind it, you're not going to go anywhere. So I mean, I mean, in our industry, one of the worst products is one of the leading products, because they've just been out there long enough that they have found ways of getting into big supermarkets, um, you know, electronics distributors, Um, getting on all of the relevant online websites, Amazon, eBay, Alibaba, wherever it may be. And um, you come to realize that actually the technical side, although is really important and will give you something to talk about, and it's only half of it.
1: If that, the real challenge comes when you've got to sell it, in my opinion. I completely agree with that. Absolutely. And I just want to dial it back a bit to the early days again. So the idea that you created this product and, you know, you had the idea very specifically for what you wanted to do. And one of the things that we all see is when you want to create a business, it's very important theoretically to have a business plan. Now that is something that a lot of entrepreneurs challenge, you know, especially in this tech startup age, you know, the idea of creating an MVP and just getting something out there to gauge the interest where do you guys stand on that and how did you approach that in the very very early days the whole planning the business plan side of things so um
0: i'm a strong believer in planning um i'm also a strong believer in adapting once you're going as well i think i think the combination of the two has to be the strongest approach i mean if you if you go out there without any kind of planning or any kind of research you could be wasting a a huge amount of time So in my opinion, you definitely need to do your market research and need to come up with some kind of plan as to where you're going to fit in. Are you going to differentiate? Are you going to go for a niche market? Are you going to, like we have, try and go for the most technologically advanced? Or are you going to go for the cheapest? Um, You know, there There are many different strategies that you can go for, and I think outlining that in a business plan is absolutely essential. But something you'll find once you're going, and something we've definitely found, is that it's not enough once you're moving you'll realize that actually the opportunity might not be where it was so i mean investors investors venture capital funds will talk about this all the time you don't you don't only invest in the project the project can be as exciting as you want if there isn't the management team behind it then you're not going to go anywhere so typically with the community call blocker we we started out thinking that uh, we were going to enter one area and suddenly we've realized that there are a whole range of opportunities so for example we have all of the software we developed in the unit we can also use working with a telco so we're currently talking to quite a few big operators to potentially integrate into their network i mean the advantages of a unit is that, that it can be sold quickly to a lot of different people in a lot of different countries but in the long run I'm talking probably a year or two, um, the telcos are going to be looking to do something about it as well. And if we can get involved with them, then that would be fantastic for us. And that's something that we didn't necessarily see straight from the onset because we imagined that getting in with the telcos would be very difficult. Whereas actually, because there's a lot of political pressure that's mounted in the past two years, so while we've been doing that development, there's a lot of pressure that's arrived, they're suddenly quite receptive to ideas and to opportunities with us.
1: I think the big lesson to take away from that as well is that, in fact, it brings to mind a a quote, I think it's Dr. Graham Edwards. Um, It's not about the plan, it's the actual planning. That's to paraphrase. And what, what I take from that, and I think what everyone can take from that is that it's important to just be sure that you are planning, but don't be too beholden to the actual plan that you create because you may have to pivot. You may have to align yourself with new opportunities or risks that present themselves. And I think that is something that, We all need to remember, you know, whatever industry that we're in. And how do you find the, the current tech startup scene? And the reason that I mentioned that is because there are a lot of us out here thinking around ideas around apps. We're thinking about ideas specifically in the tech sector. How is that scene at the moment for a new entrepreneur?
0: Well, I think, I think it's, it's very competitive I think if you're, if you're talking about idea generation, I think you're, you're going to find, well, in general, we try and come up with ideas quite often. And a lot of the ideas we come up with are good ones, but there's already somebody who's moved on them. And then you've got to make a decision as to whether you think there you can catch up or whether you think you're going to come in with some aspect that they didn't or with a different marketing plan. But I think, I think it's definitely a very exciting area to be in for sure. I think um, a lot of people have gotten very excited about what can be done on a tech level. And we're moving into a phase where we're getting more and more connected all the time. So there are definitely are opportunities out there. And I think on the investment front, there are a lot of people who are recognizing that. And if you're looking for enough money to get a viable product together, then um, it, it is there. You've just got to get in front of investors. You've got to Present your business plan, have some kind of a financial model put together, and um, things could go quite well for you. I think things get more tricky when you start moving into bigger sums of money, but uh, that's something that you'll be doing further down the line anyway, because for a startup, for the first few years, you'll be in a development stage if you're doing anything in tech.
1: I think the timing there that you mentioned is really important to understand as well, because the ideas, the best ideas, you know, you only see the tip of the iceberg and an overnight success is very rarely an overnight success. You know, you only see the publicity when it becomes public knowledge and you don't see, it's like the old duck on the water, isn't it? The legs underneath the surface swimming like hell. And you don't really necessarily see that. So I think that's an important takeaway for people is that timing. You know, it is going to take a few years. If you have an idea, if you move on it, if you have the courage to move forward with it and it becomes a startup, It is going to take that time. And I think that's a really important thing. And Hugo, what I'd like to do now is just move into the excellence expected actionable takeaway section. So I know you've spent some time putting together three tips for people who may want to move forward with an idea that they've actually had previously. So if we may, let's dig into actionable tip number one, please, sir.
0: So the first tip that I have is uh, do your homework. And what I mean by that is know your market and know your customers. I think something looking back on what we did that we could have done better is we could have done more research at the beginning, which would have saved us money on our development further down the line. So it may seem like you're wasting time or you could be doing something more useful or just getting on with that minimal viable product. But the reality is that understanding the market you're going into, the more you understand it, the better you're going to design whatever you're designing and the more applicable it's going to be when it's ready. So I think doing your homework, doing your market research is an essential tip for anyone who's thinking about starting their own business.
1: Superb. Completely agree with that. So actionable tip number one is do your homework. And actionable tip number two, please, Hugo. Talk it out with trusted allies. So I
0: definitely at the start of this sought out a number of people that we knew from the telecoms industry and asked them what they thought of it, asked them if they'd heard of anything similar, um, debated points with them. I even actively, actively encouraged people to challenge me as much as possible because one thing that happens very easily is you get wrapped up in your own enthusiasm and you get too close to the problem and you don't take the time to step back and think, you know, is this really an opportunity or am I just, am I, have I just talked myself into it because I've spent so long inside of this bubble?
1: It's so easy to get bogged down with it and so easy because you're so passionate about it as well. So I think that's really solid advice. So actionable tip number two is talk it out with trusted allies. And the third and final actionable tip, please, sir.
0: Consider funding options. So when you, when you get out there, you're, you you're, you're don't don't rush into the first funding option that's presented to you because one thing that's essential in any, any kind of business in any area is always going there with choice. So if, you're, if you just jump on the first opportunity you, for a start you'll have no idea whether it's a good one or not but also you'll be in a weak negotiating position because you've got nowhere else to go. So for the community call blocker we definitely talked to a number of different funds before we settled on the one that eventually gave us enough funding to pursue the development of the blocker.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I echo the sentiment there. You need to have options, you need to have some kind of leverage because jumping on the first thing that you see, as you say, might not be right. And whilst things may look fantastic from day one, you know, further down the line, you're absolutely right. Things crop up and you're not quite sure if if the decision that you made is the right one. So I would I would wholeheartedly agree with that one. Hugo, that has been a fantastic episode, so really, really valuable for people listening. And just before we wrap it up, where can people connect with you online, please? So
0: our website is communitycallblocker.com, and uh, our company details are listed there. There's a phone number, there's email for inquiry, there's a buy now button. If anybody is being bothered by nuisance calls at home, hopefully we can help them out. And um, Yeah. And of course, through you, Mark, if they write into you or they want to hear more about your show, I'm sure you'll get in touch.
1: Absolutely. Everything's on the old website there. So yeah, we do, uh, we do encourage people to go take a look. That has been fantastic, Hugo. Thanks so much for doing that. Great. Thanks a lot, Mark. Awesome stuff. And guys, don't forget... Everything that myself and Hugo have spoken about will be available at excellence-expected.com. And if you are tired of working the long hours, we all get a little bit sick of them, don't we? Don't forget that whilst you're over there, you can pick up your free essential 14-day guide to cutting your working hours and increasing your impact. It's how I'm able to record these fantastic interviews without anyone chasing me down. I've just got more time. So check it out. You might like it. And don't forget, until next time, The more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Bye-bye.